That's what the Apostle Paul had. Fears on every side. Fears on every side. It, it's something that is God enlighten our eyes. Start opening our eyes. We see so much. And that He comes to us in some few hundred times in the Bible where He says, Fear not in some sort of phraseology or, or way that He tells His people not to be afraid and not to fear. Because the more he opened his his disciple, his followers' eyes, the more we see that we had to be fearful of, and that he tells us, as he told Timothy, God hadn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And that's what Jesus walked with. You notice that he didn't walk in fear because he knew God, he had a purpose in life to achieve. Nothing could happen to him to achieve that purpose. Nothing can happen to us until we achieve the purpose that God had placed us here for. We are mortal to that time because we'll accomplish every work that God had sent us to to achieve and to accomplish. I told you the scripture text came from First and Second Timothy. But it, the segue of the launching spot was in the 41st chapter of Isaiah in the 10th verse where he was talking to the captives that was going to be in Babylon, a, a strange land, a land that he told them to go to and they were going to be surrounded just as we are today in the world. We're surrounded in a world that is antagonistic against God and that we as children of God are born again we start to hear his voice saying, come out of the world, come out of the very world that he had left us in because Jesus said, I'll leave them in the world, but keep them from the evil that's in the world. So we walk a walk, and I preached the other Sabbath day, and yea, do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. And that's what it is at any time. It's just... My son came over the other night and he was working on the doorbell for my wife, one of those blink doorbells or whatever where you can see the person at the door, you know, while you're in your home, you on your phone or whatever, you can see who's at the door and it's videotaping them or whatever as they ring the bell. You've seen it, I think you may have seen it this week where a UPS driver came up to the door that had one of those cameras and it showed him falling down or passing out because of the heat. When he had accomplished what he was about to accomplish, when he finished doing what he had to do for my wife, you know, we were talking as we normally talk, and he was saying about how quick things could happen, just how quick it come come after, you know, that dangers and a snare or something that come upon you and you can't get out of but just how quick things can happen, things come out of nowhere. So a lady that was at Ivor's bar down there where she was coming out to get in the car and a guy launched out and raped her or whatever. And we know a drunk driving and going somewhere on the holidays, the 4th of July. There's just so much in the world. But we have a God that had told us, fear not. Don't be fearful. He says... Do not fear anything. That's anything. He says, do not fear anything, for I am with you. 
Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Be assured I will help you. I will certainly take hold of you with my righteous right hand. That's a hand of justice, a hand of power, of victory, of salvation. Now, if God tells us that, we, we have to believe that. that. That's what we begin to believe. I don't know how many of us believe that, but, but that's what it's going to take, having faith, belief in God. You know, and our Old Testament examples of people like Ruth, you know, Ruth was believed God so much and believed in Naomi's God so much that she left her homeland and she wasn't afraid. She says, your God will be my God. Your God's going to be my God. Your people will be my people. Have we adapted that since we come into the church? Have we adapted Jesus Christ as our God in that we have brothers and sisters in that he told us not to be afraid. That was a widow woman. That was a woman that was a widower. She came into the land. She found a job. She ended up in the lineage of Jesus Christ because she was doing good. She was doing good for Naomi, her mother-in-law. And as long as we do good, you know, and it went out, did something this morning. I went to the store. The store was lined up, but they had a deal going on. it. I love a deal, you know. But we're not to love the world or the things of the world. But we have to learn how to get along in the world. Yes. How to do things in the world. So, my wife, she drink a good many cold drinks, but the dollar store had those on a deal or whatever. And I said, well, let me go in and get these or whatever because not that I worship my wife or whatever, but the reciprocal action is that uh, almost 41 years ago coming this August 1st that I told her parents that I would do for her and that I would love and cherish her. Well, when we love and cherish Jesus Christ, do we give him that reciprocal action each time we can to to, to do good for him? Go about doing good? Do we grow, grow weary of doing good for him since we know of him? I think that's what a relationship or intimacy with God is and that you know, he's never a leave you. And you, you know, the fellowship and the intimacy grows as you go along. And we're in a faithless world. It's so much faithlessness in the world. We have to learn how to be faithful and loyal to our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. He says, you call me Lord, Lord. But you do not what I say do. We're in a world, and the most dangerous thing is, is it's among the church people. I've got articles. I did, it didn't print out right this morning or whatever I'm going to give you on Christian nationalism or whatever. One of the worst things that could start happening to the nation. And I tell you, beware of Christian nationalism. Beware of the Christianity that's in the world that came along with the last political leader that was elected where they had an insurrection and overthrew democracy and the nation is continually falling. It's like when God said to Adam, the day you shall eat of it, you shall surely die. I think the nation died on that day in that God's building up of people. And that's what the preachers and teachers are here to warn them for this. Keep warning the people that we're to come out of the world, but we're in the world, 
And we're not to be fearful for God had given it to his children, to the sons of God to take over and the rule and reign with him. But we have to watch that takeover because Satan ministers has been transformed into ministers of light. So it's coming through Christianity, this other Jesus, this another Jesus had came and manifest himself and we hear it and it's been preached in this nation so long this other Jesus it's a Jesus of materialism capitalism uh, I told you the faithlessness that is in the world and if we're talking about Timothy and Paul had left Timothy if you remember in the book of Acts when I was talking about Ephesus and the church of the Ephesians he left Timothy as bishop over that church Talking about it in the first chapter there of 1 Timothy. It says, Under Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went to Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do you. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and out of good conscience and of faith unfeigned, for which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. That should be us that use the law lawfully. We shouldn't dangle that law. We shouldn't become a Christian nationalist to try to force people to do the law. You know, don't point at your children. Don't point at people and always tell them, well, you know the law and, and try to bind them to that law. You know, because people, Peter says, why do you do that? And we couldn't keep the law ourselves. I think if you preaching the gospel, if you telling them the good news of Jesus Christ, if we could win them over, if God shines his light on them like he's shining up on Paul and convicts them, then they'll see that their wicked ways and that they're condemned. And as the 41st chapter said, thou worm Jacob, they'll see that they are chiefest of all sinners. And Paul said that about himself. He said that he was that way at one time, and that he was a blasphemous, a blasphemer. Verse 13 says, And I thank Jesus Christ our Lord, who enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly, in unbelief. And, and that's what we're walking in around people that are walking in unbelief. They're doing things. Why should I tell you about what the law says and all these things if you're a lawless person? If you think God died to save you, that Jesus Christ died to save you, but you're not going to church and you're not doing the things that you should be doing, why should I keep tying things of the law around your neck or whatever? All it do is drive you further away from God. It laid burden on you that we can't bear whatever because, see, when we're saved by grace through faith, it, the law becomes not grievous unto us. It's, it's, it's no problem to me to get up on Saturday morning and go to church and because 
I love the Lord and I'm trying to do things to please my Savior, my Lord and Master. It doesn't hurt me to do things that are right for Him that, because that's becoming a part of my nature or who I am or, or what I am. But those that love darkness rather than light, all you're going to do is keep friction up, friction up when you keep pointing that law to them. Let grace and truth enter in there first. Let mercy enter in there first. Let Jesus Christ do the heavy lifting. And say, cast all your cares and your burdens up on me. Stop worrying about the other people and who do this and that, that. You see, the church's mission, he says, you was reading that earlier. You said, feed the flock. He told Peter to feed the flock. Don't go out there and plead your case and plead your cause and try to get all these people. He says, feed the flock. He told Peter that three times. Feed my sheep. You see, we keep trying to convert the world, and Jesus says the world is already condemned. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. We have to get those prepared. It's a preparatory period. We should be getting those ready who want to get ready, who want to go. We're not fighting the rebels out there. First, it says that those in the world walk in darkness and not coming to God. God give them over to uncleanliness. Seem like this nation has been given over to uncleanliness. It's been given over to everything that's in the book of Romans, the first chapter. You'll see it. He says, therefore God gave them over in the lust of their own heart to sexual impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them, abandoning them to degrading power of sin because by choice they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. They determined to serve one another. And that's what I told you. I love my wife or whatever. But my God comes before my wife. I remember Brother Armin. Uh, he was a young preacher that had a lot of children or whatever. One class and one teaching. Uh, and he was teaching that one night. He says about the three things, the four things that, that we are obligated to. And he listened to them and he says, first the love of God. First the love of God. Then your neighbor. Now that neighbor encompasses everybody else. I was thinking about that and he was talking about his wife or whatever, but we have to love God more than we love our own self. He, he had, I think he had 12 children or whatever. But he says his love of his wife has to be before his children. You have to love your wife more than you love the children. And that's the problem we have today. A lot of women or men love their children better than they do their spouse. But he was saying your children are just a product of your, what you and your wife produced as love for one another. You can have more children as Job had more children or whatever. He was talking about a necessary order in life. If you have things that you have that come before God, those things that you serve, we were talking about idols and things. What you serve uh, is what you worship. What you worship or serve the most, that's what you, that's become an idol to you. And God said, he's a jealous God. He'll brook no idols. In other words, nothing before him. 
You have to even deny your own self. You have to die. That's what I said. Didn't I say that earlier that we have to stop worrying about what we want? You know, we might want our children saved. You might want your parents saved. You might want a whole lot of other things. But it's God, it says the Spirit, saved as such that shall be saved. So we just have to live a life ourselves and we have to establish the law. What people know about us is what they knew about Daniel. The only way to get to Daniel is go through his God. You have to make a law that separates him from his God. They say no praying to any other God within that 30 days time. But did Daniel allow that to get in between him and God? He went in and prayed to God as usual. Job said, look, you don't sound like my wife. You're telling me to curse God and die. Something's wrong with you, you know. Whenever somebody tries to get in between your God and you, you you, you know that that's not of God. He says, no height, no depth. Nothing's going to be able to separate me from my God. Moses' wife, Zaborah, took the flint rock and castrated, I mean, uh, circumcised her son. Not castrated, I got that wrong, okay? Circumcised her son and says you're a bloody bridegroom. In other words, God was trying to kill Moses because Moses hadn't adhered to the law of circumcision in that tent and Zipporah took the flint rock and circumcised her son and throwed it at Moses' loins and says you're a bloody bridegroom. In other words, God's law is written. Nothing changes that law. But we have to fall under the grace and mercy of God. And if we find grace in God's eyesight, it says Noah was saved by grace. God saves those whom he chooses or whatever. So if people know we staunch, we stalwart and steadfast in the word of God, that's what we have to do and that's what we have to walk in. But look like he's given this nation over to dishonoring. And just read that whole chapter of Romans the last part of it, of all the things, I, I don't want to go into Scripture reading, but they are lacking natural affection nowadays. They're covenant breakers. How many people do you know are unthankful and ungrateful? All of those things in that first chapter of Romans, God had turned them over to. And it's not that they, those that do those, because the 29th chapter encompasses, the 29th verse says, but do you love those that do those things? You give power to that. Are you sitting around watching people, watching television and things? That's the things you love to see. That's the things that you covet after because, you know, covetousness is a sin also. We talked about that. Covetousness is the sin of idolatry. The covet after. That's why, you remember I was telling with the Catholic Church, they broke that commandment in portion because they took out the second commandment about making a graven image, that of making a graven image, and they split the ninth commandment up in where it says, do not cover thy neighbor, do not cover thy neighbor's wife, his pastor, and any of these other things. They broke that into two commandments. So they would still have ten commandments because they took out about the graven images because... We know that they have a lot of images. That's <laughs> the church of images and graven things. But he says the church was going to be where the problem was. In the latter days, he said he was going to come back and fight against the church. So if he tells us not to fear not, to fear not, 
that He would strengthen us. This is an inner strengthening. It works from the inside out. You know, the problem is that we have an eyesight problem. We myopic. We can see that closer. We love to see things in those things that we see. It, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, that, that seeing things. But we should be children of God that not don't walk by sight, but walk by what? By faith. So all that is in the world and the love of the world, they go out to try to accomplish, to try to get hold of these things. But we see Jesus Christ in this day and time, and in the book of Isaiah, the 41st chapter, we're looking at the day of the Lord as a time of judgment, and we see that the day of the Lord is a time of judgment that may be upon us now because it says judgment begins at the house of God. It starts with us. Reading the book of Matthew is where he pictures him sitting upon the rams of the court judging between the sheep. He's judging those in the church. There are those in the church who are false professors who pick up and choose those we will do that those we will do good for or to. The church, you know, you see them giving out clothing and doing all these things or whatever. But it's certain people that are like the stung in a society to them. You know, abortion was one of those things that they used to, you know, used to be their pet rock or dogma that they had, and they were killing abortion doctors and hounding the women that were going through abortions or whatever. That's getting entangled in the things and the affairs of the world, you see, because why would they abide in that doctrine if they're to that point where they didn't have this child out of wedlock or within wedlock because I have some other articles about this, uh, the different church, about this. The Dugerts was part of it, you know, that you shouldn't practice uh, con- using contraceptives or whatever and that the fruitful, I mean, forgot the name of it or whatever, but that you should keep having children. You remember I was telling you this guy that had 12 children and, you know, at this day and time, it's that may be a handful. <laughs> Maybe more than you could. And the women ain't, aren't the same as the women and the men aren't the same as the men of yesteryear. That was another article I have because you have grown men that's staying at home with their parents or whatever. It says leave home. But the wives and the women and the men and came back home or whatever. But it says leave home, you know, but it's more and more of them that staying with their parents to call it the empty nesters and the nesters back full or whatever. But we should be able to go out and produce, but they're out there playing video games and living at home or whatever. But God's looking at them and what he's saying to us is to fear not. We have to go out into the world and stake our claim. We have to be the church militant, the church that's strong. He says, Then shall he say unto also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungered, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. Sick and in imprisonment, and you visited me not. Then shall I also answer him, saying, Lord, when did we do... when?" Did we see thee a hungered, a thirst, or a stranger, a naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto you? 
Then he shall answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you did it not to the one of the least of these, you did it unto me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous shall go into eternal life. So that's within the church. He's saying within that church, because there were those that were feeding the needy and doing all of those things as a church, that was a work they were doing it, but it wasn't, as I read earlier, through faith. It wasn't through the Spirit. That was something that they was doing to get glory or bring glory unto themselves. That was something that they were motivated to do that. God wasn't motivating them to do that. It wasn't because of a conversion experience to those that, that supposedly are in the church that are doing those works. You remember, we're going to be judged by the deeds we've done also, by works. That's going to be one of the judgment aspects of rewards, but not of salvation. Not of salvation. You understand it? Hopefully you understand that there is a difference there. You have to be saved before you're talking about feeding the needy and helping the poor and all these other things. You have to work out your own salvation because that's what I say about Christian nationalism. You start trying to enforce the law on others and tell the others what they should be doing or whatever, just like Job's friend was telling Job about the things of the law and all these things. They wasn't out of harm's way yet. God said Job had to end up praying for them. So what we have to do is be merciful and be good to one another even that's why when Jesus came, he says, love your enemies, love those that mistreat you. Are you able to love that abortion doctor at that clinic that you're talking about blowing up? Are you able to love those murderers and those people that, that you call the scum of society because you're not thinking about those that are in upper classes as the preachers and the lawyers and all of the respectable people that have those sins within them of covetousness, of greed, of oppression of the poor, and they're not, say, man, physical murderers, but they oppress the widow. They take that that don't belong to them. It's corporate greed. It's all these other things. That's what he's judging him about. That's why I say we have to get busy, be careful getting entangled in this world's affairs. And that's what he was telling Timothy. If you would read this first and second epistle to Timothy, you'll see fatherly advice to a son because he tells, calls Timothy his son in the faith. Yes. So when we come to Christ, there's a lot of teaching and learning we have to do. That's why he put the church there. That's why the elders are in the church and the women should be teaching the younger women. Yes. We're failing in those aspects, but how can you teach somebody that hadn't or don't want to be taught? See, that's where forsaking the assembling together of yourselves. It's no use to me telling my children and nobody else about the law and what the Bible says if they're not going to church. They're not seeking God anyhow. That, that's where it begins at. That's why judgment starts at the church. You're not obedient to God outside of the church, so that's why you go in the bar, go someplace and say, oh, well, God said this, God Well, what does he care? He loved darkness rather than light. This is a person that's in, in fornication. They're living with their boyfriend or someone else or whatever. Well, they don't want to hear about fornication and all these other things. 
And that's what divides families. That's what divides friends. That's what divides things on the job. That's why a lot of people say, don't come on the job with preaching and your religious beliefs or whatever. Because then you, you could get into a lot of different beliefs in those things. Worship is the devoted service that an individual gives to what he regards above all. It is most assuredly not restricted to activity done only on one day. So do you give service and do you present your body as a living sacrifice unto God or, or for the rest of the week or for the other days? Are you serving God or are you serving yourself? Do other things come before God? That one day you're Christian. You know, a lot of people on Sunday, they're Sunday Christians or what. Uh, uh, once Easter there that that day they they're a Christian but worship is what you're devoted to what are you serving that's what you worship so a lot of people may be worshiping their cars or their television sets or whatever they do the most whatever you do the most that's the one you love the most to be strengthened you have to be attached to God and growing in Him that's why it says meditate in His Word day and night carry the presence of God with you. So if you watch in TV, you parsing that through a spiritual mind, saying this shouldn't be happening, that shouldn't be happening. Well, that's the way the writer's got it. Yeah, but I'm writing, I'm looking at this from a critical place and saying that's evil, that's wicked, that writer's mind is twisted or whatever. However this goes, it's not right according to God. Everything, he that is spiritual, judging everything with that standard is to a biblical standard. That's why he tells us fear not. That's what strengthens us that the blood that's flowing through us is living by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Standing that way. So I said, you know, you could fight all the abortion rights or gun rights or whatever you want to do, but you're worshiping a created thing. You know, a lot of biblical Christians, sometimes they'll, I give up my gun when you pry it from my cold, dead hands. Well, that's a, a pretty pretty bad thing to say if, if you worship that gun that much, if that's what you're dying for. The right to bear arms, that was a constitutional thing for a different time and an era, and that's what I say. Those things change, the world changed, but the word of God changes not. That's why I say it's no new word. So the NRA and other organizations, the lobbyists and things, with those, that's why this nation has all the mass gun violence that it, that it does. No other nation, no other country, no other place has as much gun violence as it is in this nation, a so-called Christian nation. But that doesn't change the violence. That doesn't change those things, enacting so many laws and things. But you're fighting from a perspective that you're on a sinking ship. Even devotion to the church, and I was telling you about the preacher that was saying, uh, Brother Jasper Williams, that the divorce came by putting the church had a, a wrong balance on following the church and the things of church because... You do have a family. You have to keep that family in mind. You have to keep that job in mind. You have to keep all those things in mind. God calls for balance in our lives. It calls for balance in our lives. Remember, I used to, when I was going to this church in earlier days or whatever, 
one of the ministers that was single, and no wonder he was divorced and single at that time or whatever. It's 9 o'clock, 9.30 at nighttime. I got to get up and go to work the next morning. My children have to go to school or whatever. He's talking about the time or whatever. Well, no, I, I, well, instead of me getting into arguments and fights over that, well, I just have to find another ch- church. Just That was my problem there. I didn't maybe they'd fight it the right way or whatever, but that couldn't work. I can't go there and you, you could get up or you don't have children to get in bed and everything. You don't have children at 11 o'clock getting in bed, not doing their homework and rush through things or whatever. That's why in the Old Testament you see the fathers taught the wives at home and the wives taught the children or whatever. That was a chain of command. That respect and that, that's not in the homes today. But it's an awful, awful thing that we live in. Book of Proverbs says, 18th chapter and 21st verse, to those who love to talk will experience the consequences for the tongue can kill or nourish life. So sometimes the preachers, like I said, talking and talking to them, well, if it was a football game, you wouldn't be ready to go after four hours. You can't stand in here an hour, an hour and a half. Well, it's according to the words that you're speaking. It's just strengthening because as you say sometimes, Pastor, why you didn't keep preaching, why you didn't keep on going or whatever. Sometimes you can get so far in that word that you want that to keep teaching. A lot of times you say, well, when you go teach us again, well, that's creating that hunger, that necessary hunger in your lives. And that's why it keeps you coming back. But there are a lot of churches, there are a lot of preachers that are destroying their congregation because they shouldn't be preaching in the first place. But that belief system, those words were poison. It says that that there's poison of ice under their tongue. You know, and that's the thing about preaching wrong things. You're poisoning their minds. That's the worst thing is wrong teaching and wrong preaching. And that's what Paul was telling Timothy because... You remember, this was where the goddess of the Ephesians was, Diana. That's where they wanted to kill Paul, and they was going to rush the theater to kill Paul there. And Paul was warning, he warned Timothy here. One of the last verses of that first chapter says, Beware, holding faith in a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexandria, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. These men, he said, he delivered them unto Satan for the words and the things that they say. Because they're under the law, but now they're teaching a different resurrection or something about the resurrection and what had happened at the resurrection. The teaching is what went astray. Paul was telling them in the book of Acts, these same people at Ephesus, after he would leave, the book of Acts, the 20th chapter, and the 29th verse through the 30th verse, verse, it says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. See, that's our job is to continually warn people. And Paul preached at Ephesus, I told you, some three years. 
It was much people won over in that city, but we're pre- we're won by the hearing of the word of God. Once that seed starts to germinate, you can start to seek after God. You can hunger and thirst for His righteousness. That's the only way you can grow. And you will seek that fatherly advice. That's why I don't have to make you come to church. You will want to come to church. You will need it because of the battle that's going on around you. That's the only way you can be strengthened by the things that you hear. And that's why it says, put them in mind of these things. Listen at this, how he talks in a fatherly way to Timothy. The third chapter of 2 Timothy says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, Manner of life, purpose, faith, long suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, and what persecutions I endured. But out of them all, the Lord delivered me. He told Paul not to fear not of all of these things, and you didn't see these happen. You remember, I keep telling you about my brother Jerry. And that he had told me, said something happened or something changed with you. You know, people can see or know when you converted, and also Satan can also. So your children or your friends or these people may not be converted to God or whatever, but they'll know that that's in you, just like they knew it was in Daniel. Yes. It was in Joseph. That's why we are peculiar people. We're different. But we're not responsible for everybody else. So with fear and trembling, what is that fear? When he says fear not, but he tells us again, is that a contradiction of word there when he says with fear and trembling, work out your own salvation? No, it's reverential fear of God. In other words, is this the right thing to do? Can I do this? We're bringing every thought into the captivity and obedience of Jesus Christ. Because, Lord God, I know a lot of times, like I said, it's things I've done wrong. And you remember I was telling you about pulling my children away from this church at one time or whatever. But bless God, through all of that, I'm pastoring that same church. Those that wait upon the Lord. Those that wait upon the Lord. But I'm still steadfast and stalwart with all those around me. So we're to admonish, admonition is there. Second Timothy, the twelfth, the third chapter, twelfth through the seventeenth verse. Yeah, and in that, and all that will live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution, whether it comes from your spouse, your children, your brothers and sisters, your relatives. You will suffer persecution. You will, you will suffer people saying things to you and about you. That's why he spoke a blessing upon you. Blessed are you when men say all manner of evil about you. Because your spouse, believe me, your husband or wife, they go mummer under their breath about you sometimes. <coughs> Decisions you make and things you do and choices you do. Your children and parents go murmur against you about some of the things you do. But that's why I say with fear and trembling, you're trying to do your best. Christ is your head. You didn't pray to God and you've given the good works. You're trying to do good. That's the motivation that God is with you in doing this. You're not doing this to spite anyone. You're not doing this to please anyone. You're doing this to please God, being led by the Spirit of God. So that's why some women, remember Abigail? And she rushed and prepared the meal or whatever. 
Her husband was antagonistic against her. But she was trying to please God and she was trying to spare his life. God had to take him out of the way because he was a good woman. That's why in that 41st chapter it says, those that are against you, that fight against you, you'll see God moving them back. If that spouse don't line up with you, if that child or that parent don't line up with you, never what don't line up with you, God's going to move the mountain. He says, I'm going to make you a, a, a fresh threshing instrument. So that's why you're not looking for fights or anything. But if the fight comes, we're not going to run. The fight comes, we're not going to run. The new thing now with active shooters and things going on, it says fight, run, or hide. Fight, run, or hide. Let's not be cowards now. God told Joshua to be strong and of a good courage. Turn not to the right or the left, but you keep my commandments and my law. And I'll be with you as I was with Moses. What I say to one, I say to all. As he was with Paul and in, brought him through all kinds of infliction, afflictions and things. Timothy, he was trying to strengthen Timothy through talking to him in this admonition in this epistle. So a lot of people is taking it wrong because Paul told Timothy to take a little wine for as often infirmities his stomach's sake. You know, fear does things to you. Paul stood before the crowd. Paul wanted to go before that 24,000 at the theater. You know, I tell you that my mother pressed things upon me about preaching or whatever. But, you know, I was fearful to stand before a crowd. The bigger the crowd, the, the less I want to stand before it. So I, in the strength of God, I stand before it. But I'm actually ashamed or afraid of those things. But he says, fear not. Timothy was having to endure this, and that's the thing about his stomach. You know, when you're fearful, there's acid that starts to boil up in your stomach. That's how you get ulcers and all these other things. I was on the job working once at Southern Livestock Supply as a purchasing agent or whatever. One of the first blacks in that part of the field in Louisiana. But it was a lot of pressure. I was telling you about church and my kids and everything. So that's when I was out of church for a while. But I developed ulcers at that time. You know, fear gives you heart convulsions. You know, if you think something about to happen to you or whatever, it causes heart attacks, shortness of breath. It causes anxiety fears. You know, a lot of people worried about how they go pay the bill, how they go get through this sickness, how they go get through all these things. That's why it says, cast all your fears, cast all your cares upon me. And it's not easy learning to do that, but the more you do that, it becomes second nature as, as to letting Christ carry the load. Let him carry those burdens. All of that belongs to the Lord. If something happens to my house or something happens to my family or something, that was Christ, as Job says, the Lord give it and the Lord take it away. So as he was losing all he had, he says, the Lord give it and the Lord take it away. Now he said, he says, you know, it hurt me to lose all of my children. It hurt him. So I'm not saying that these things don't hurt you. I'm not saying that these things 
aren't something there, but you have one that if you seek him and he's your fortress, he's your refuge, he's going to help you to bear these things. That's why he tells you to fear not. The fatherly counsel comes through the word of God. That's why he says you're frightened of fear. Sing songs or hymns. Read the word of God. It's so much comfort. So many times people have went to the Psalms. But this is, reading this week, I've learned that this is one of the more popular verses. That 41st chapter and the 10th verse. Fear not that I'll be with you. I'll strengthen you with my righteous right hand. Fear not. As he tells Timothy, he says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So that treachery is coming in the church. And you see why it says it's going to get worse and worse? Don't look for it to get better. Your hope is on the other side. Your hope is the kingdom of God. Your hope is that he says, fret not thyself because of evildoers, for there shall soon be passed away. We'll see where he's going to plant us as righteous trees that we'll grow and inherit the land. That's why I say, I want to be a part of those that are left in the land. I want to be a part of those that inherit these promises. And that's what I'm fearing, not fearing and standing strong. It's going to get worse. It's going to get darker. He says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. This chapter mentions the word of faith more than a whole lot of other chapters in the Bible. And that's First and Second Timothy because he was trying to instill faith in the Timothy. He was a young preacher and he says, let not they despise you because of your youth or your age or whatever. But he was trying to strengthen Timothy and that's what we have to do is strengthen one another. But it comes through the Word of God. It comes through prayer and teaching and studying the Word of God. It comes through walking in it. That's what gives you strength. He says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine and reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. So, as he was hearing all of these indictments or whatever, it was going to be hard work. And this is hard work. Let nobody tell you Christianity is easy. The Christian fight is a fight. And we have to be ready for that fight. We have to see that there's a spirit of slowfulness that comes over people that causes you want to sleep, to, to lay down. I didn't get to bed till about 12.30 last night, 12-something. You know, I told you that I had that alarm as a secondary figure. Right about a quarter to six when it went off or whatever, I didn't want to get up. I didn't want to get up. But I know you got to get up. Because you can lay down there, hit that snooze and sleep another half an hour or hour or something. But if you get up and start mealing around, that sleepiness will go away. That that stuff will go away. Deacon's been doing it for many a year. And like clockwork, it was something maybe I can look at my phone now and tell you it was maybe 5 or 10 after 6 when he called me. So he had been up because he was up here turning the air on at 5 or 10 after 6 and I'm just not getting up at six. But we have to learn to do these things and to work hard. It says, Thou, Second Timothy 2, 
thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ and the things that thou hast heard of me from many witnesses. The same commit thou to faithful men. Commit them to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life or of this world, that he may please him who had chosen him to be a soldier. So he told Timothy to strive for those things because as Paul was and he had the bad eyesight, something wrong with his eyes or whatever it was, of all the biblical characters, I think we're used to seeing the world, and that's what the world. And you remember I told you about Jack Reacher, and they chose this man that was big and muscular or whatever, and you see the fast and furious. Dwayne Johnson didn't make the other one because it was a little bit over the top. People believing in those superheroes and all of those super characters or whatever. But if you look at Samson, he was unassuming, more or less likely. Probably a skinny guy. Samson didn't have a whole lot of muscles or whatever. Because if he did, Delilah wouldn't ask him or the Philistines wouldn't have wondered where in lieth his strength. You remember she asked him that? If he had all those muscles and all of that other stuff, I think Victor Mature played the first Samson that we've seen or whatever. But anyhow, if he'd have had all of those things, they'd have said, well, that, that guy's strong and muscular. That's what the women look for. That's what the men look for, the, the nice-looking women, the beautiful women. But sometimes those don't get up and cook breakfast for you, buddy. Those not going to work hard for you. Those not going to help produce children and things for you. That man that's dressing and all of those things that you look at, when you marry, you're going to be dressed the same, this and that, that but he's going to still put all his money on himself. He's going to do just what he's doing. It don't change very much. But Samson, see... God gave him his strength, and that's why he appealed to God to come to him one more time to strengthen him. And see, that's what we are. We are infirm and we're feeble worms, and we ask in God to strengthen us. You remember I told you that beauty, that strength, God comes, works from the inside out? It's like that truck. You can buy a lot of new trucks and cars and things or whatever, They could have electrical damage, the motor could be going, the transmission could be going out or whatever. You could be buying somebody else's trouble. But you know what? That old reliable truck, you didn't put a new motor, a new transmission in it. You know what you got. You know what you got under the hood. So if you've got that new birth, if you've been born again, you know what's under the hood. You know what's going on. During these perilous times that God had prepared Job for the times that he was about to come in. He had prepared those times, and he was like my mother used to do. We didn't have much, but she used to feed everybody. Anybody. That's why they call her mother. Everybody would call her mother because we had bread pudding and everything. And I remember Elmo, Elmo Stewart or whatever, was teasing us about bread pudding and all these other things, but they would come get that bread pudding or whatever. They would want those things. But she would always give, and that's where I got that giving and helping others from. From that same chapter of Matthew I just read about 
those that wasn't of God, those that didn't. See, a lot of times people would rather have rich people or popular people than they would a poor person, than they would a homeless person, that the person that don't look like they have anything. But if someone is in your, around you or whatever and you want to share their popularity and, and be with them, you help them. But see, that wasn't the way my mother was. She helped anybody. She helped those that looked derelict and down also. And that's what we have to do. It says, Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when he had said for them to come on into his kingdom, they didn't realize what he was saying. Now, these people were righteous. He says, Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see thee a hungry and fed thee, a thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, a naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we sick uh, in prison and came unto thee? And he, the king said and answered and said to them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then he shall say unto them on the left, Depart from me, you cursed. Because they had partiality in their mind. They would do it for some, but they wouldn't do it for others. You remember I say, what you do to some and you don't do to the others. See, if it was anybody else did what Trump did in his political wise and in politics, if it was anybody else, they'd have been jailed early. All of this wouldn't have come about. But that's why all the articles in saying that nation is going to come apart because of the division. So we do see Christian or righteous people in the nation, but it seems like they're getting trounced now. Oh, but it's going to be an upside to that. It's an upside to that. God's coming. God's not going to forsake you. So sometime your friends go turn on you. And he told Timothy that. Let me close this thing down now. Because he told Timothy, he says, God hadn't forsaken me. He says, this thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. Of whom are Philagius and Hermonagius. Philagius and Hermonagius. I had said that, I pronounced that two or three times, but now it's like I'm wondering what it was that you told me about my thermos. Philagius and Hermonagius, the Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently. And found me. The Lord granted to him mercy that he might find me. And in that day, how and in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest well. So those in Ephesus that fought against him, he warned Timothy about. And that's what happens today. We warn and mark those that cause division. Because man will physically hurt you. Man physically will do things against you. He'll block your pathway. He'll get in your way. He'll try to bring harm unto you. He'll, he'll do all he can against you. So we're to warn one another, but we're not to be afraid. We're not to be fearful. You remember they say all of the world had turned and went toward this. That's why Demetrius, the silversmith, was coming up against Paul because he was shaking the tree. He was shaking the foundation. But he says, now all of those that were with me turned against me. You remember Demetrius? He said, demons has forsaken me. So you still keep doing good. Don't grow weary of well-doing. Your best friend, sometimes your spouse will turn on you. You remember I told you Job's wife said, curse God and die. 
sometimes your spouse not going to understand you. Your children's not going to understand you. Your parents and best friends not going to understand you. But in the book of Psalms it says, How great is your goodness which you have stored up for those who reverently fear you. How great is your goodness for them which you have prepared for those who take refuge in you. Those that take refuge in you, how much blessing that God had laid before them. So, he says, strengthen the feeble knees. For the time being, not now, for the time being, no discipline brings joy, but seems sad and painful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, after it, it yields the fruitful peace of righteousness. In other words, right standing with God and a lifestyle and an attitude that seeks conformity to God's will and purpose. Because through the suffering and the pain, you've learned that that's the way to God. He's going to strengthen you going through all those things. All of that. He says, so then strengthen the hands that are weak. My wife was talking about her hands and fingers this morning and said it looked like the pain would stop or whatever. But he says, strengthen the hands that are feeble and weak and that trouble you. Cut through and make smooth, straight paths for your feet so that the leg which is lame may not be put out of joint but rather may be healed. One day you will heal. You will be healed. Those that wait upon the Lord, you will run and not faint. You will walk and not be weary. Those that wait upon the Lord. He says he's going to strengthen you. Those are the promises, and it's a walk by faith. It's a walk in faith, and he promises. If you have that word of God through a promise and by grace are you saved, Look unto his word and tell people of the hope with light in you that one day it won't be the way it is now. Trouble don't last always. Those that were on top, they won't even be here. I won't even consider or think about them because after the rain, it's like having a child, but after that child is born, oh, how the joy. The fruitful vine that you have become. How fruitful. And that pain and suffering, you weren't very worried about that affliction. You know, like I said, it looked like it's everyday problem and problem and thing after thing. Yeah. But I keep my eyes on Jesus and I just keep prodding along. Yeah. Strengthen the feeble hands. Strengthen the weak knees. He's going to give you strength. That which is spiritual will show itself in the physical. It's going to show itself in this world, in this life. Because he's going to put on incorruptible. That corruptible go put on incorruptible. You will be a boy. You won't have no more pain and no more suffering. But we must labor to enter in. We're going to drink of that cup. Heavenly Fathers, we come before you this day, Lord.